Okay, let's gather in. Wow, I love how it gets so quiet. It's like that time at my, you know, those those rare times at my house where the boys are quiet. It's like that. Oh. I don't know why, but then if I'm in, if they're in Florida and I'm at my house by myself, then I'm like, I just really like some noise. Sounds way too quiet. Then there's nothing going on. But um, let's just bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning, Lord, that we can just come before you and. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that we get to experience in our lives. Lord, thank you since the beginning of this world, how you have showed your compassion and your love for mankind. And I just pray, Lord, this morning as we praise you and glorify you through music and the testimony or spoken word, Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified and lifted up for you are an amazing God and we owe you all our praise and all our thanks. And I just pray, Lord, that this time would be a sacrifice of praise not because of anything that we are, not because of anything that we have that has not been given by you, but, Lord, because of who you are, and in that way we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call god's love so sure shall still endure all measure less and strong redeeming grace to adam's race the saints and angels song. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Could the stroke 
study we were studying on the miracles of or just miracles in scripture and I learned some interesting facts I didn't ever know before as I was studying for that but one thing that really stuck out to me is the compassion and the love that God has for people not necessarily just his people if you will but for people in general just mankind that he created and how much that through all the miracles that you see through scripture how much he loved his people and I was just I was really amazed at that again of how much if I want to be like Christ how much more compassion I need to have for others around me and other people does my heart really cry out to see them know Jesus does my heart cry out to see them um, saved happy because of Christ or do I just look at him and I'm just kind of numb to it or do I really have that desire in my heart
acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. testimony or uh, anything to a prayer request or anything, please feel free. Um, I'm always amazed at what God is doing in everybody else's life too. I'd love to hear about it. (laughs) Everybody likes when everybody stands and I never remember so could you all please stand.
because I can't play and sing or I can I mean, yeah I can play and sing sometimes um, is this thing on now Ty okay uh, somebody special yeah you know that one we'll just do it in D same 4-4 four, four timing as everything else pretty much God made me somebody special, somebody special, yes siree. God made me somebody special, somebody special, yes siree. He knows each time I need Him, He hears my humble prayer. He sees when things get hairy And all I can feel is defeat God made me somebody special Somebody special, yes siree God made me somebody special Somebody special, yes siree Did you guys get them all? You want to do it again? He knows each time I need him. He hears my humble prayer. He sees when things get hairy. And all I can feel is defeat. God made me somebody special. Somebody special. Yes, sirree, 
God made me somebody special, somebody special. Yes, sir. Good job. Okay, you got another one? One that we don't sing very often. You got to come up with old, I mean, odd songs. Um, how long has it been since you? How many? How long has it been since you sang "I Am a Sea"? Been a while on that one. Can you remember it? You remember all the letters? You know this one. You know this one. Good. You know this song then? "I Am a Sea." I am a C-H. What key do you get? Okay. I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-A-R-T, and I will L-I-V-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-O-Y, I'm a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-O-Y How fast can you spell? You, you go through your ABCs really fast? You can do that song really fast? So you can do this one really fast, right? I am a C I am a C-H I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N and I am C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-O-Y Don't ask me to spell songs and words I don't know. <laughs> and I will live eternally, but that's going to, uh-uh. Yeah, maybe. You, know, you might want to practice that at home. Um, all right. What does it spell? Well, it, we... Pr- Right. I am a Christian. Oh, boy. Now you can make me think about this. And I have Christ in my heart. Yep. Just a lot of spelling. It's good for you. Right? You're in first grade, right? Well, so you should be able to just rip through that song. Okay. What's another one? Hmm. You got one you like to sing? Cast your burdens. That's A. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Jesus higher, 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 lift up Jesus higher, 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 lift up Jesus higher, higher, lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. 
cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus. Okay, one more. What do you got? Walk, 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 walk in the light, or that one? How does that go? Um, it's a great day to serve, love, serve, praise. Okay. Oh. I think this is an E. Cable, play D. Hmm? Um, it would be cable two. Just play D. It'd be it'd be um, D, G, and then A, I think, on the bottom. Sorry, I'm really confusing you with this. Okay, you guys are gonna have to give Jay a hand up here because I mean she's really stepping out on this one for me. Brandon Texer. <laughs> Brandon, yeah, can you guys all stand up? Brandon texted me this morning and said, somebody's coming for my job. <laughs> all right. Uh, which verse, which, which, okay. It's a day to love the Lord. It's a great day to love the Lord. It's a great day to love the Lord. Walking in the light of God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walking in the light of God. It's a great thing to praise the Lord. It's a great day to praise the Lord. It's a great day to praise the Lord. Walking in the light of God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk in the light, walking in the light of God. It's a great day to love the Lord. It's a great day to serve the Lord. It's a great day to serve the Lord, walking in the light of God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk 
in the light. Woo! Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walking in the light of God. Good job. All right, who's got children's lesson this morning? Pat does. Okay. Yeah, you guys could sit right there. That's a good spot. Thank you. I'll untangle it later. Y'all know what holiday is coming up? Good job. And what? Jesus, that's a little loud. Uh, what are y'all thankful for? Can you think of anything? Life. Life. Good job. That's one. Anybody Love. else? Life. Love. That's another good one. Anything else? God. There you go. That's another good one. Well, just be thinking about that, and then I'll ask you again at the end of this story that I have for you. All right. So, next story is, okay, cool. So this is a little, this is, yeah, by Max the Kid. It's similar to the other story that I read to you guys earlier. Yeah, Yeah, just a little bit. All right. Punchinello lived in Wemmicksville just like other Wemmicks. He was made of wood just like the other Wemmicks. He was carved by Eli, the Wemmick maker. And just like the other Wemmicks, he sometimes did silly things, like the time he began collecting boxes and balls. Things started getting crazy when a Wemmick named Tuck bought a new box. Others had boxes, but Tuck, Tuck's was a new box. Tuck loved his new box. He thought it was the best box in the village. It was brightly colored, and he was proud of it. Too proud, perhaps. He strutted up and down the street, showing off his box. Have you seen my new box, he would ask the other Wemmicks. He passed on this. He passed on the street. Would you like to touch my new box? Tuck, mar- Tuck marched right up to Punchinello. Don't you wish you had a new box? He teased. Punchinello thought Tuck's box was beautiful. He began to wish for a box of his own. Tuck kept showing off his box, thinking he was better than the other wings. He just, just because he had a new box. Nip, nip. Another wimmick disagreed. My box is just as good as Tuck's, he said, as he showed off his box to the Wemmicks on the other side of the street. Nip's box on Nip, bleh, my bad. Nip's box on the other hand was not as new, but it was a bit bigger and it was a bit brighter and a bit more than Tuck's could and it was a bit more than Tuck's could take. Tuck got very quiet and gave Nip a mad look. Then he had an idea. He stepped into a store and he bought a ball. Now he had more things than Nip. He had a box and a ball. Nip frowned on Nip frowned at Tuck's ball. Nip Nip could do better than that. He bought two balls with a smile on his face. With a smile on his face, two balls, and a box in his hand, he marched over to Tuck's and smirked. Now I have more than you. Before he knew it, Tuck was in, in another store buying another box. Then Nip ran to buy another ball. Then Tuck bought a ball, and Nip bought a box. Ball, box, ball, box. They went back and forth. Tuck, Nip, Tuck, Nip. On the other, on and on it went. Someone could have stopped the whole mess right there. In fact, it was the mayor who tried to do it. You two are being silly, he said. Nip and Tuck, why, who cares who has, more, who has the most toys? You're just jealous, they replied, because you don't have any. Jealous? 
Jealous, what makes you say that? He said, and he laughed. But within a few moments, the mayor was in a store, and he was buying an armful of boxes and balls. <laughs> Other women began to join in. The butcher, the baker, the cabinet maker, the doctor, the dentist, up and down the street, everybody was buying boxes and balls. Before long, every women wanted to be the one with the most boxes and balls. Some boxes were big and some were bright. Some balls were heavy and some were light. Tall people carried them, small people carried them, everybody carried them, and everybody thought the same thought. Good Wemmicks have a lot. Not so good Wemmicks have little. When a Wemmick walked down the center of Wemmicksville with a stack of boxes and balls higher than their head, the people stopped. Now there goes a good Wemmick. They would say, but when a Wemmick passed by with one ball or one box, the others would shake their head and think or whisper, poor Wemmick, poor, poor Wemmick. Of course, Punchinello didn't want to be called a poor Wemmick, so he decided to get as many boxes and balls as he could. He searched through his closet and found one little itty bitty ball. He dug into his pocket and found enough money for one small box. I know what I'll do, he declared. I'll sell my books to get more money to buy more boxes and balls. So he did. He bought a bright blue one and a green, a bright blue box and a green box with clouds painted on the sides. But still, he wanted more. I'll work nights to get extra money, he told himself. So he did. He and he bought a he bought a ball. And since he was working nights, he didn't need his bed. So he decided, I'll sell my bed to buy two more balls. Does that sound like a good idea? No. No. Yeah, it sounds like a very bad idea. Soon, Punchinello had an armful, but other women had more. Some of them had so many boxes and balls, they actually had trouble walking. It's hard to, it's hard to keep them up with all my toys and everything. They would, they would say, acting like they were complaining, but they were really bragging. Punchinello wanted to be like those women's, so he sold more stuff and worked more hours. His eyes were tired from, getting, from not getting any sleep. His arms were tired from carrying toys. He couldn't remember when he last sat down to rest. And worst of all, his friends couldn't remember when Punchinello last came to play. We haven't seen you in a long time, his friend Lucia said to him one day. Why don't you come and play, play anymore, asked his buddy Split. Not everyone, cared, not everyone cared about boxes and balls. Punchinello's friends didn't. But Punchinello cared more about having boxes and balls than he cared about having friends. I've got to work. I've got work to do. You would tell them, and his friends and his friends would sigh. Punchinello didn't care. He only cared about what the other box and ball people thought. No matter what he did, he couldn't buy enough things to get their attention. Finally, he had an idea. I'll sell his house. He decided. That's crazy! Cried Lucia. You think selling a house for just toys is a good idea? No. Yeah, I agree. Where Where will you live? Asked Split. Punchinello didn't. No, but he didn't care. All he could think about was the boxes and balls he would have with all the money. So he sold his house. He bought boxes and boxes and boxes and balls and balls and more balls. He, he, carried, his, he carried so many toys he couldn't see where he was going. His stack went way above his head, but he didn't mind. So what if his arms ached? So what if he was walking into walls? So what if he had no friends? He had boxes and balls. And when he passed Wemmicks, they would turn and say, wow, he must be a good Wemmick. Punchinello heard them, but he couldn't see them. But he heard them, and he felt good. I'm a good Wemmick, he thought. But then somebody changed the rules. It was the mayor's wife. She was very proud of her boxes and balls. But she, by not, 
She not only had a lot of them, but she had special kinds of them. She bought them from the fanciest stores with funny names and left names on the boxes so everyone could see them. She wanted to be the best winner. One day, she had an idea. Not only will I have the most, but I will go the highest. So she climbed on top of all of hers and shouted, look at me, everybody. Immediately, all the boxes and ball people tried to outdo her. One climbed on a fountain, another on a balcony, and then another one on a roof. It was the mayor who spotted the mountain, however. Let's see. Behind the village was the Wemmicks. Behind the village of the Wemmicks was Wemmicks Peak. I'm going to the top of the mountain, he shouted, hoping to get there first. The race was on to see which Wemmick could have the most and climb the highest. Wemmicks loaded with boxes and balls began running up the mountain. It was a crazy, crazy race. Since the wooden people couldn't see where they were going, they bumped into each other. Since they were exhausted, they fell over their own feet. Since the trail was really, really narrow, some fell down the side of it, but they kept going. Bringing up the rear was Punchinello. He was having a hard climb, harder climb than the rest. After all, he had only been a good wimmick for a short time. He wasn't he wasn't used to carrying so many boxes and balls, but he was determined. He kept putting one little wooden foot ahead of the other, but since he couldn't see, he didn't know where he was where he was on the side of the trail. And since he couldn't see, he didn't know that he had left the trail. All he knew was that all of a sudden, he was alone. I must be way ahead of everybody else, he thought to himself. So he kept climbing up and up and up. I must be very near the top. I am such a good wimmick, he thought. I'll be the highest with the most boxes and balls. About that time, Punchinella's foot caught on the edge of something. He tried to keep his balance, but his toys swayed back and forth. And, and then he leaned a little too far forward and he fell down. He was going and he fell right through the door of the worker Eli's house. When Punchinella realized where he was, he was embarrassed. For a long time, he stayed, he stayed face down on the floor, surrounded by his boxes and balls. One of the balls rolled across the floor and stopped at Eli's workbench. That's when the woodcarver turned to him. Punchinella. Eli's voice was calm and deep, but kind. Then Wemmicks, then Wemmicks, the Wemmicks still don't, the Wemmicks, yeah, my bad. The Wemmicks still didn't move. He could feel his wooden face turning red. Looks like you've been carrying a big load. The weary Wemmick climbed, climbed to his knees, bent his head low, and said, these are my boxes and balls, he said quietly. Do you play with these boxes and balls, asked Eli. Punchinella shook his head. Do you like boxes and balls? I like the way they make me feel. How do, you, how do they make you feel? Important, Punchinella answered, still in a small voice. Hmm. Eli observed. So when, so you've been thinking about, thinking like the other Wemmicks. You've been thinking that the more you have, the better you are and the happier you will be. I suppose so. Come here, Punchinella. I want to show you something. Punchinella lifted his wooden head and looked at Eli for the first time. He was relieved to see that the Wemmick maker wasn't angry. Punchinella followed Eli over to the window. Look at them, Eli said. Punchinella looked out the window at the swarm of Wemmicks still climbing the mountain. They were, tumble they were tumbling, stumbling, fighting each other, even elbowing each other to get ahead. Do they look happy, Eli asked. They do, they do not look happy. Do they look important? Not at all, Punchinella said. Noticing the, mayor's, noticing the mayor and his wife. The mayor was on the ground and she was stepping on his back. She had a box on her head and a bowl in her mouth. 
Do you think I created Wemix to act that way? Asked Eli. No. Punchinello felt a big hand on his shoulder. Do you know how much your boxes and balls cost? My books, my bed, my money, my house. Punchinello said, my little friend, they cost you much more than that. Punchinello was trying to remember what else he had sold when Eli continued. They cost you happiness. You haven't been happy, have you? Punchinello paused. No. They cost you they cost you your friends and most and most of all, they cost you your trust. You don't you don't trust me to make you happy. You trusted these boxes and balls. Punchinello looked at the pile of toys. All of a sudden they didn't seem valuable. I kinda messed up. It's okay, Eli replied. You are special. Punchinello ducked his head and smiled. You're special, not because of what you have. You're special because of who you are. You are mine. I love you. Don't forget that, my little friend. I won't, Punchinello said. And then he paused and asked Eli. Yes? What should I do with these boxes and balls? Perhaps you should give them to someone who really needs them. Punchinello turned to leave, but stopped again. Eli? Yes? I don't have a place to sleep. Eli smiled and offered. Would you like to sleep here tonight? I sure would. I am very tired. And so that night, Punchinello slept on a bed of wood shavings. He slept very well. It felt good to be in the house of his maker. So, do you think that he was, do you think all those Wemmicks were thankful for what they had, or were they just taking it for granted? You think they were thankful for what they had? Or were they just trying to get more and more and just trying to outdo the next person? Yeah, they were trying to get more and more. And that's how it is in life. If you if you're not thankful for what you have when you have a little just a little bit, you won't be thankful for what you have when you have a lot of stuff. And there will always be somebody who has something shiny or fancy, something that you don't have and you may want it and that's fine, but if you let it if you let it be um, if that if you keep telling yourself I need to have that, then you'll end up like what Punchinello and all the other women were doing. And then you just want more and more and more and then eventually it'll become too much for you. So just be thankful for what you have right now and don't take the little stuff for granted. Alright? So what did you guys think of anything that you're thankful for? Warm weather, I agree with that, Gary. I agree with that. Friends. Friends, that's a good one. Parents. Parents, that's another good one, yeah. I can agree with both of you on that. Having good friends, good family, good parents brought me up through all of the years and everything. House. A house, yeah, keep you warm, keep you safe and all that. Bed. A bed, there you go. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to be thankful for. If you think about it, you'll come up with, I kid you not, thousands of stuff to be thankful for. But anyway, that's the end of my lesson. So if you guys want, I brought some Smarties today, so you can go ahead and take take some back with you. You can take two, three if you want. But if your parents say otherwise, then yeah, just listen to them.
Good morning to each of you. Welcome. Glad to have you, the visitors, here with us. I uh, hope you feel right at home with us and uh, want to worship God today. <clears throat> Thanksgiving. Um, thank you, uh, Patrick, for that. And kind of with the uh, praise this morning, too. Uh, I just pulled it up on my phone, the meaning of Thanksgiving. And I know this can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people and different aspects. And there's a lot of different, like I said, different aspects of Thanksgiving. Um, but it's kind of sadly to say, though, in our society, you know, it's become the three, four-day holiday of football and soccer and you name it. Uh, the games, a bunch of party and that type of thing. But what is actually Thanksgiving? What's it to you? Um... We kind of all pretty much know what Thanksgiving was, how it began, that type of thing with the pilgrims and all. Um, let me see. And, you know, a lot of times Thanksgiving, and, and it's a great time. It's a great time to stop and uh, kind of reflect over your past year and to, to just join together in family with friends and um, just be very grateful for what, you have and where God has brought you to. Um, in the Bible, the meaning of thanksgiving reflected adoration, sacrifice, praise, or an offering. Thanksgiving was a grateful language to God as an act of worship. True meaning of thanksgiving focuses upon relationship. Thanksgiving is a relationship between God and man. Thanksgiving begins with acknowledging God as faithful, earnestly giving him thanks in advance for his abundant blessing. Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Thanksgiving is an attitude of the heart that reinforces an intimate intimate relationship with God. So it's just a <clears throat> great time to reflect of what God has really truly done for us. And I'm very thankful this morning to be part of Redeemed here and part of you brothers and sisters here. And uh, yeah, it's just been a, just thankful to God for all the many things he's done for us as a family and all as well. Um, Brother Phil will be bringing the, the message to us, and following that, we have a baptism, so feel free to, uh, please do hang around for that. Uh, there is also a new meal. I promise you, you want to stay here today for the meal. So even if you're on diet, I'm sure there's enough <laughs> food or variety of food that, you know, we'll find something to eat. Um, Wednesday night. Uh, we started a uh, men's kind of group thing of uh, a book that we're kind of going through. So we've had it twice already. Next one is Wednesday, November the 29th. So I think Phil has already said, if you haven't joined or if you'd like to join or whatever, uh, feel free to come. Um, Dwayne, how you doing? Good. Yeah, I got on. Uh, Katie is on here to continue to. Uh, keep praying for Dwayne. 
and for Linda as they recover from their surgeries. And um, I guess without any further announcements, uh, why don't we just bow our head for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you and thank you so much for all the many blessings that you bestow on each of us. And we just thank you for this time together as believers in Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you be with Brother Phil. Lord, I just pray that as, he, as we open your word, Lord, that you can minister to each of our hearts. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, your faithfulness and your goodness to us. And we uh, want to honor and glorify you in everything that we do. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you're uh, missing God's nose in your life, you're really missing a good part of a good dad. Would you all agree with me that good parents say no a lot to their children? Would you say that someone is a good parent if they always said yes to everything their child asks? No. No. Yet somehow, we think that way about our Father in Heaven, don't we? Do you? When God says no, are you okay with that? Or do you, God, that's not fair. God, that's not right. Hmm. Listen to this word this morning. Maybe it'll change your mind. 1 John chapter 3. Behold, look at, when you see that word in the scripture, by the way, behold, it has a much stronger meaning than just, hey, check this out. It means fix your gaze upon and learn. It has, I like the illustration of this. It's like someone looking into a telescope, this little tiny glass that you close one eye and you look very intently on purpose and it shows you amazing things in the skies you cannot see with just a glance. That's beholding. Have you done that lately? Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. If you and I behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, it changes us. That we should be called children of God, and such we are. You become what you look at. What you behold, you become. It's true. For this, the reason, it's because of this reason. The world doesn't know who I am. Does the world know who you are? Does it know you? Does it understand you? If it does... Perhaps you should do some more beholding of God's great love in your life.
because it did not know him. When Jesus walked on the world in, in this earth, walked among people, did the people know who he was? Very, very few. And even those few, many times, were confused with him. Because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We have no idea what we're going to all be like. Do you know what you're going to be like next year? I don't even know what I'm going to be like tomorrow. Because as I behold, I change. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him just as he is. Do you see how that changes you? When you see him as he is, you, I, become like him. And everyone, not just a few, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, not on you, not on me, not on my preacher, not on my job, not on my church, on nothing in this world, only on him, my hope is fixed. That when I see him, I become like him. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. That's my full-time occupation. Completely taken up with that every day. Are you? Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. How does he do that? By beholding how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, continues to bestow upon us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone, not just a few, not just some most more spiritual people, everyone, children, that includes you. Unless you're a donkey or a dog or a fish. But if you're a person, you're included. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If someone asks you, do you know God? What would be your reply? Honestly, do you know God? No reply, huh? Hmm. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Don't be bashful. It's not humble to deny that you love God and know Him. That's not humble. Humility is to confess the truth. See, the world won't know you. They won't understand you. What they call pride, God calls humility. What God calls pride, they call humble. 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is. If someone were to ask you, what is God? What is your answer? That's just because I just read it to you, right? Or would you have said that if I asked you that when I got up this morning? Oh, good. You know God. God is. There is one thing that God says I am. By this, the love of God was manifested. And that word manifested, it means openly displayed. It means it's like if God loves to do this. God is love. And so when God loves someone, he makes him a demonstration of his love. Have you seen a demonstration? When a scientist is here to demonstrate something, he puts a Mentos into Coke. And what happens? Any of you know? It explodes. It's a demonstration. When God pours his love into a human being, something happens. It demonstrates who God is. That's how it is for everyone. By this, the love of God was manifested where? In us, in me. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Love defined. In this is love. Not that you love God. Good word, Patrick. That's how people act who think that love is defined in how I love God. That my love is expressed by how I love God. That's not true love. Love is God. God is love. It starts with him. It originates in God. And since God is love, I am. God is. Therefore, I am. It's not the other way around. You are nothing outside of God is in your life. I'm absolutely nothing. I'll read that to you later. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, for our unloving ways. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we, love, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. And that word means is continually 
perfected. It's not a once. Now it's perfect. Is continually perfected in us. It's an active word in the Greek. Is being made perfect. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in what God is, loves. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That word abide simply means he moves in. When you move into a house, what do you do there? When you and I move into a house, we move our furniture in there, and then what do we do? We set up camp. We live there. We eat there. We sleep there. We drink there. We have family there. We do life in that house. That's the root word meaning. God abides. He moves in. He lives there. By this, by this, God moving in to me. Love is made perfect, is perfected with us. That we may have confidence in the day of judgment. What confidence do you have in the day of judgment? Today, one of us may die. Today, Christ might return and will face the judgment. What confidence do you have in that truth? That the moment you die, you face God's judgment on your life. Are you confident? Are you okay with that? Are you afraid? By this... Love is perfected with us that I have confidence with him in the day of judgment. Confidence in what? Because as he is, I am. Because as he is, so are we in this world. God changes me into who he is. He is, I am. There's no fear here. There's no fear in love. You want to live a place, a life of no fear? Two things need to happen. You need to, first of all, believe and behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you. That you become one of His. And then... You get to know him. He moves in and you do life together. And that takes away all fear. I asked Lucas the other day. We were talking about fear of death. I said, honey, 
do you ever worry? Are you ever scared that if you do, if you disappoint me in some way, or you disobey me, that I'll just put you on a bus ticket and send you back to grandma? Does that thought it? Are you scared of that? You said, no, never think about that. No, neither will God send you to the devil the moment you die just because you are still being made perfect. God won't give you back to the devil. He won't give you back to your old life. No, you are because he is. And you have entered into that love of who he is. And that knowing God not only takes away all fear, but you begin to relax in his presence. Do you have fun with God? If you don't have fun with your God, you don't know him as a good dad. Because children who are comfortable in their father's love have fun with him. And they enter that fun freely at any time. They enjoy their dad. They ask him to come play games with them. They, they tease him. They'll, they'll freely relate to him. Right, dads? As a dad, I want our boys to do that with me. They know they have that freedom with me. And when it's time to be serious, I'll say, okay, now it's time to be serious. Do you see how Satan robs us of this being made perfect because we lack in who he is. And therefore, we are afraid. We're not comfortable. But as you go through the scriptures, the one man I want to point out to you, beginning with Moses, even before Moses, let's begin with Abraham. How did Abraham relate to God? He had so much freedom that when God came with judgment and he said, Abraham, let's go for a walk. We're walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, Abraham, I want you to know something. I'm not happy with that place. In fact, I am so unhappy with it, I'm going to kill them all. And my judgment is going to be so severe that men for the rest of the existence of mankind will talk about that severity of my judgment on that sin. Think about it. What did Abraham do when God spelled out his judgment? What do your children do when you say, I've had enough, no more? Because you did that, I'm going to have to discipline you. your children do? I'll tell you what our boys do, and I love it. Oh, come on, Dad. Really? Have some mercy. That's exactly what they say to me. And I love it. That's what Abraham did with God. Come on, God. Have some mercy. Are you not a God of mercy? What if there are some righteous there? You wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, would you? And he kept bargaining with God, kept talking with him until he said, if there are ten 
out of the, I don't know how large those cities were. Sodom and Gomorrah and a whole valley. There were other small cities and towns and suburbs around it. But Abraham said, oh, but God, what if there are just 10 people? 10. What did God do? He loved it. He loved it. He welcomed this discourse with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'll tell you what. If there are 10, I won't destroy the city. Can you believe that? Is he your God? Then stop condemning yourself or listening to the voice of condemnation when the devil comes with this condemnation in your life just because you've failed him. Your love isn't yet made completely perfect, but rather yield to that love and let it be made more perfect. Abraham's experience with God perfected his love with him. He had confidence in the face of God's judgment. God wants His children to have this confidence. There is no fear in love. But because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is what? Not made perfect in love. And again, that word is, He is not being made perfect if you have fear we love because he first loved us if someone says I love God and hates his brother he's a liar for the one who does not love the brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen in this commandment and this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Love is greater and bigger than you. God is bigger. And God's love for you is not to stop with you. It is designed to flow through you. To be openly manifested. To make you a demonstration of who he is. God is. I am his demonstration. Whoever believes, chapter 5, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and whoever loves the Father, loves the child born of Him. By this, this is how we do it, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not a heavy weight. Are God's commandments to you a weighty thing? Do they weigh you down? Are they hard? Then you don't know God yet as you ought to know him. You haven't seen his love. The love of a dad who wants to have fun with you, who wants you in the face of judgment to intercede, to talk with him, to say, come on, dad, have some mercy. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. In John chapter 14, 
Jesus speaks of this love. This is the last night at the Last Supper. And I love how John puts it. He begins in John 13 when Jesus sits down and has this last Passover with his 12. Verse 3 of John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself about. And it says in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus spoke these words out of the Father's heart of love. Flowing through him. Verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. This, that is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not know him. Why does it not know him? Because it does not behold him. They don't see him. Therefore they don't know him. If you and I don't see him. We won't know him. As he is. We'll think we know him. Based upon who we are. If you don't know. The God. Who speaks in his word. If you don't know him as that person. The person of Jesus Christ. Then you only know him. Based upon who you are. And there's a big difference. Once you and I behold who he is and in faith believe he is that, we enter into that relationship trusting he is who he says he is. And therefore we become who he is. His love begins to change us. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me. Notice that word, behold me. You're going to keep looking at me. What? The world can't see me anymore. But you do. You see me. Do you see God? I do every day in his word. You are what you look at. The devil knows this truth way better than we do. And that's why he wants to blind our eyes, distract our eyes to people, to the world, to myself, anything and everything except God. If he can put your eyes on anything except him, he'll change you into the things you look at. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments. I want you to notice something. Beholding him is directly related in his commandment, in his word. Jesus connects it. The Holy Spirit connects it through 1 John that I wrote to you. 
The reason his commandments are not burdensome is because I know him. And therefore I have confidence, even in his judgment, whether it's on me or others, I have confidence because I know him. And so I can say, Dad, I can come into his mercy because I know him. I know he loves me more than anything else. I know he is love. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved of my Father. And that word is the lavish kind of word. Lavishly loved. Abundantly loved by my Father. And I will love him. And will disclose myself to him. Do you see what happens when God, the Father, and Jesus turn their love upon us? They do something. They reveal themselves to us. They show us who they are. They open up the eyes of our understanding and they say, this is who I really am. But the world doesn't see that. And neither do you and I. If Satan distracts our eyes and we start beholding things in this world, God's love in us becomes less and less perfected and fear begins to creep in our hearts. Insecurity is the word. And instead of having confidence in the day of his judgment, whether it's conviction of this Holy Spirit of sin in our life today or thinking about future judgment, when we become insecure, we begin to, if we follow down that path, we begin to lose this freedom of God's love in our lives. The love that sets us free because he is, I am, his child. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How does this work? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode. We're going to move in with him. God says, you're my house. I'm going to move in. I'm going to take up residence. I'm going to do life there. I'm going to eat with you. I want to drink with you. I want to sleep with you. I'm going to do the whole life together with you. This is my love. You're going to move in. You see, when you don't move in, there's a lot of insecurity and unknowing about the person until you move in together. We married couples understand that truth very well, right? Think about it when you were courting, when you were dating. But you lived separate lives. But you, once in a while, you got together. You had coffee together. You, you were getting to know each other. But there's a big difference after you are married. What is the big difference? Someone tell me. What happens after a couple gets married? Do they go home to their individual parents again? What happens? They move in. They move in. And all of a sudden, they get to know each other in the smallest, quirkiest little ways like they have never known each other before. But something else happens. There is a freedom in that relationship that was not there before. It's the freedom 
of being completely naked in front of each other and not being ashamed. And I'm not speaking of the physical sense, so that's true too. When God created Adam and Eve, he says this, and they were naked and were not ashamed. They had nothing to hide. They couldn't hide anything with their clothing anymore. And you know what? There was no shame. Complete freedom. That's what happens when God moves in. When Christ becomes your bridegroom, all of a sudden, you're not trying to hide anything from him anymore. And there's no shame. You're completely free. And his wishes become your choices. His wishes become your choices. This kind of free love is not a feeling. Marriage is not a feeling. All of us who are married and have a good, healthy marriage relationship, we know this is true. We don't feel the same as what we did at the altar day every moment of our moving in together, do we? Just because I get up and like you said, Christopher, I just, I feel maybe depressed or grouchy or there's just, the feelings have just evaporated overnight. I have no idea where they went, but they're definitely not here. Doesn't mean I'm going to wake up and say, who are you? You're not my wife. I don't even feel like you're my wife anymore. Are you sure you love me? How do I know this? I'm married to you? What? I don't feel like I'm married to you. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm going to do I'm going home to my parents. What? I don't have this feeling anymore. Why are you looking at me like I'm crazy? Isn't that normal? Is that normal for you and Jesus? It's not normal. This love is not a feeling. It's a choice. His wishes become my choice. That's why they're not burdensome. Have you experienced this freedom of God's love? If you haven't, and there is still a lot of insecurity in your life, God wants to perfect it. And the one way He will begin to perfect it is if you begin to behold it. Just get to know him. Behold it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The reason I'm not going to pack up my bags and go back to my parents is because I have chosen, I have set my love upon her and no matter how I feel, I'm going to start talking to her like she is my wife because she is. I'm not going to relate on my feelings and try to relate to her based upon how I feel. I'm going to go back to the truth. This is who we are. We are married. You are my wife. I am your husband. I'm working on that fact. And today, no matter how I feel, I'm going to make that choice to walk in this truth that we are married. That love. That God made one. 
And when you begin to walk that way with Jesus, you walk in the truth of who God is. God is, I am. And then, no matter how you feel, the feelings may come or may not come, it doesn't matter. They're irrelevant to the truth. Because the truth sets you free from your feelings. From any other distraction, the truth of who he is and who you are. Verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by each other. You'll have each other for lunch. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What did Jesus say in John 16 that he's going to do? What did he say? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to pour my love in you and I'm coming in and I'm taking up life with you. I'm going to be married to you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What? You just got done telling me I can't do as I please anymore. And now you tell me, but I'm not under the law? How does that work? Why, if I can't do what I want to do, but I'm not under a law, that if I don't, I'm going to be condemned, how am I free in not doing what I want to do? There's only one way. It's called love. I don't eat near the things that I ate and drank before I got married to this lady. But you know what? I love not doing those things anymore. I used to drink a six-pack of Mountain Dew every week, sometimes two a week. I'm not saying that's sin. That's just what I used to do. I used to eat what we call fast food, junk food, all the time. I worked, I ate junk food. But when I started getting courting her, and especially when we got married, you know what the first thing that she did to me? She changed my diet. But I wasn't under the law. I could have went to Burger King anytime I wanted to. I just didn't want to anymore. Well, did I have the cravings too? Yes. I chose to please her. And that love set me free from my own desire, even my own addictions. I was addicted to Mountain Dew. I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. I even told her, would you just not care about it anymore? It's all right. Like, it's not sin. The Bible doesn't say it's sin. What's wrong with Mountain Dew? She said, it's the way it makes you act. Like, you get, you have these highs and lows, and you, you get all energy, and then you 
burnout and I just love you. I want you to be healthy. Plus, it's not good for your liver. Oops. The choice of love set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see the difference? I'm not speaking about Katie and I's relationship. I'm speaking about my relationship with my bridegroom, Jesus. And so many of his children are not living like this. They think as soon as he gives us a command, a spoken wish. Oh, you mean I can't do that anymore? Man, you're hard. Oh, it's so hard. Of course it's hard. You're addicted to the flesh. You've been addicted to your flesh for a long time. What, do you expect that to be easy? No, you can't do the things you used to do. The spirit is at enmity with the flesh. It's designed to be difficult because that's the only thing that puts your flesh to death and makes you one with Christ. If the flesh were still to live and Christ were to say, that's okay, how would that relationship look? Would Jesus change who he was or would you change to who he is? No. Your flesh would live right on and in fact he would bring no change to your life whatsoever. Being married to him would be unaffected. It wouldn't affect you whatsoever. You go on living your will, your flesh, your desires and your marriage relationship to him, it's like it's irrelevant. Doesn't even affect me. I don't think in this life we would call that a good marriage. You do what you want, I'll do what I want, but we'll live together. No, a good marriage is when two people become one flesh. God in me. Christ in me. He is, I am. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. It's not drinking Mountain Dew, by the way. It's immorality. It's impurity. It's sensuality. It's living by my five senses. My nose. That's how our dog lives. He chases his nose all the time. That's why we have to have a leash on him. Psalm 32 says, don't be like the dog. It says, don't be like the horse or the mule. Where you have to put a bit and bridle in it so that they do what you want them to do. God says, don't be like that. I have set my eye upon you. I want to guide you with my eye. The love, my love, set upon you. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions or divisions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you that just as you have forewarned, as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And out of that love comes joy. Out of a loving marriage comes joy. And that's where the burdensome, the burden falls off. Because when you make the choice of love, the result is a joy which you can't even express. It's inexpressible, full of glory. First John 1, John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. It's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such 
There is no law. You've been released from the law of do's and don'ts because now you live by a greater law. Romans chapter 8. The law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And this love, again, does not originate with me. It's not what I do to earn this love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 defines it for us. It has character. Love is not a feeling. We establish that, but it is something. It's a fruit. It has character. It means it changes your inner man to make you be something. It is something for real, something that is experienced once you are that love. It's joy. It brings forth peace. It brings those results. But it forms a character. And that's why I said God is and I am. I become this. But it's not done by my sacrifice. Love is not a sacrifice. Don't ever think you're going to earn someone's love by sacrifice. You will not. You can give your body to be burned and not love them. You can give all your goods to be sold and give it all to your wife, husband, and not love her. I've talked to many married couples in the years of my ministry and praying with people and I've seen this so often over and over again. The man says, I gave her everything she wants and more. Why does she say, I don't love her? I don't get it. I do love her. Look, I give her all my money. I work so hard. I give her this. I give her that. I give her all the things she's constantly wanting more and more. And I give it to her. She still says, I don't love her. He doesn't get it. When a man tells me that, I look directly in his eyes. I say, you don't love her. That's the problem. Love is not bought, cannot be bought, cannot be earned. Love is not a sacrifice. Love is sacrificial, but it is not a sacrifice. Big difference. Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friend. Love is sacrificial, but that's not who, what love is. Love is a character. It builds character it is just like God is if you want to look what love is look at God who he is his character and that's what affects us so deeply and changes us so powerfully it's because of who he is first Corinthians 13 if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Men and women, women oftentimes are the talkers of love in the home, right? I've heard many women say, I tell him every day I love him. I tell him, I, I give him cards, I give him little notes, I, I, I express my love all the time. And the man's not feeling it. 
And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Do you understand that? I am. My character? Zero. Zero. And you can add more zeros and 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 more zeros. All those zeros of action you can put into a love relationship. They are still zero. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I deliver my body to be burned, now I'm dead. I'm still nothing. Boy, what a disappointment. Wouldn't you say that person loves that person? Come on. Is there someone in this room who could convince me, convince you that I didn't love my wife if my wife is in a burning house or car and I run in there and I save her but I can't get out? I'm sure every one of you would say, wow, this guy loved his wife. He gave his body to be burned because he loves her. And you know what? We just had a big old fight before that fire and you would have no idea that we don't even have love. Just because I gave my life to her. You see? I'd still nothing. I would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God would say, nice act. No love. Change nothing. Unless you put a one in front of it. All of a sudden, all of those zeros, love is patient. I want you to notice this. Love is patient. Love is kind. I told you it was character. Love is not jealous. Not love doesn't act jealously. Not love is, does not, is not kind. Not love is, no, love is. It's not just it does kindness. It is kind. Love does not act unbecoming. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account of a wrong suffered. Does not, is, does not. Is, does not. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, because love is God. If you haven't entered into this love, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, it's waiting for you. God is standing at the door, knocking, Jesus is. And he says to the church in Laodicea, he wasn't even in the inside of the church anymore. He was outside. But he still stood there and knocked. If you'll open up, I'll come in. And you know what he said? I'll come in and I'll dine with you. I'm moving in. And we'll do life together. So, God is, so I am.
not sure that uh, even in the rest of my lifetime, however long that will be, that I'll ever fully grasp the fullness of, of God's love. But I love hearing sermons like that, the word being shared that way to once again guide us in our uh, understanding of, of God's love. Carrie spoke about it a little bit this morning and in a conversation that we had yesterday as well, we were talking about just how much God loves us, you know, what, what his heart is to people. And so many times we, we have this attitude, and I know I'm, I grew up in a, in a culture, a religious culture that, that in a lot of ways focused a lot more on the judgment and wrath of God than uh, the love of God. Caden. Um, and yes, the the judgment of uh, of God is is very real. And I thought it was an incredibly good uh, illustration that Phil shared at, at the beginning. All of a sudden, you know, if, if Lucas or Michael does something wrong that Phil just can't stand, is he going to ship them off? going to ship you back to Iowa? I don't think that's a concern at all, right? Well, if if Phil is that good of a father, how much better is our father in heaven? And that's something we can depend on. If we think that we as earthly dads are good, how much better is our father in heaven? Caden, stay here by Dad. All right, that brings us to the close of this part of the service. We're going to dismiss, have a prayer for our lunch, but before we eat lunch, we're going to proceed with uh, the baptism, and when that is uh, done, then uh, we can go directly to uh, the meal. Um, so let's let's have a prayer and a blessing on the meal, and then... I'll turn it back over to Phil, and, and he'll share a little bit on, on the baptism, and, and we'll proceed with that. Carrie, you want to close this prayer, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we can just know your love. And, Lord, I pray that it would be something that we can understand even better as we grow in our um, relationship with you. And, Lord, to know that how much you love us, you want to give us good gifts. Maybe not what we want, but, Lord, good gifts in a way that you would know and understand what you're giving to us. And, Lord, I just pray that we would be, our hearts would be open to you in all these things. And, Lord, I just pray that we would understand more and more of who you are. Lord, I just pray for each one here today. And, Lord, as the word that was spoken, and I just pray, Lord, that we would go away changed in our inner man because of who you are. Thank you so much, Lord, for all the hands that, Help to prepare the food today, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, and I pray that, Lord, that you would bless this food to our bodies. And just thank you for it, Lord. And we are thankful for a Thanksgiving feast and all these things and all the food that we have to eat, Lord, and how blessed we are in these things. And we just thank you for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we have a one of uh, an, an act of obedience of love from one of his children, and you and I get to witness that through uh, Jenny's desire to be baptized. Um, you know, as I was sitting here thinking, when when God, when His love comes from God, when my love comes from God, the more zeros I add to that, the more worth it adds. But when the one is up front, when it comes from God, every zero, every act of obedience increases the worth of his love. And that's what this is. It's one of those acts. Jenny, she's going to come and share her testimony. Okay, um, when I was in middle school, I went to a youth group and um, learned lots of facts in my childhood about the Bible and who Jesus was and who he was supposed to be, and um, I made the choice many times, probably more as a superstition just to make sure I wasn't going to hell, um, to accept Jesus into my heart and I prayed the prayer many times, and uh, one time there was an opportunity to be baptized. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. I'm not sure, but I chose to be baptized, and um, it just seemed like the right thing to do, to be um, a part of the church and just to, you know, do what the right thing. Um, after you accept Jesus, you get baptized, and and then it didn't seem to be a big deal after that. My life wasn't changed. I was actually in full rebellion against my parents, against the Lord. I didn't really have a changed heart. And um, when between my eighth grade and ninth grade year, I went to a youth retreat and... Uh, I'll never forget, it was the last day I was bored out of my mind. There were no cute young boys that I was interested in. And um, I was falling asleep. I was like, I have to get through this one last sermon. And then I can go home and get back to my life. And um, I, I literally was sleeping in my chair, and then God woke me up in a moment, and I listened to the gospel. It was 24 years ago, but it is the the rock of everything I believe in, and the Lord changed me in a moment. He gave me a new heart. I knew that I was loved. He came for me. He came for me when I was dead in my sin and I was not seeking him. And he changed me. He made me new. I knew I was loved by the Father and the Son. And that I went home. I was a totally different, had a totally different heart, but I didn't know how to express that, how to do that. And um, my testimony just doesn't end there. Sorry. It, he carried me on with his love. There was much discipline <laughs> through my teens and through my 20s. And um, he just worked. He planned my life. He gave me a wonderful husband. And 
five wonderful kids, and he just continued to never let me go, never let me be, and never let me be satisfied with with where I was. And he is an infinite God, and he is to be ever known. And um, when I was 30, he really put a deep longing within me to go deeper, to know him deeper. And it really broke me because he wanted to marry that wonderful, that I knew I was loved by him. And he, and I was his child. And that just carried me along all through my 20s. But when I got to my 30s, he was like, I want to marry that with holiness. And he really began to teach me more about his character and who he was. And um, he just, it was almost like another conversion. It wasn't the same because I, but it was like such a deep filling that he had put in me. And he did so much deep work in my life in uh, my 30s, my early, early 30s. And, um, but after that deep work, he began to talk to me about being baptized. And I just had counted that one baptism that I did in my middle school years and just thought that was all I needed to be and didn't take being baptized very seriously. Um, Just didn't know anything about it, didn't understand, wasn't really taught in the churches that I went to. But I wanted to... I got to a point where I knew I wanted to be baptized because I wanted to experience that joy of being baptized that I didn't have that joy the first time and that the love of the Father. And um, But I wanted to understand it correctly and I wanted to do it in his timing. And he led me to this time and this moment and I'm very thankful for that. And Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for, for this time. We thank you for the life of our sister Amen. and for what you're doing in her heart. And we just love to see how, how you show yourself to us just by transforming our minds and our hearts. We want to bless her for being obedient to your word and also doing it under the authority of her husband. We just, we just rejoice with you, Lord, and we know this is about you. And we want to bless your name through this act uh, of obedience. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we can just gather around this time, a time of rejoicing of a life that is given to you, a life that is buried in Christ. And Lord, we know that this is only a symbol. It's not salvation in itself but lord it is a symbol of the inner work that you have done in jenny's life and i thank you so much for this and the obedience that she is showing of just wanting to be baptized in you and in a life that is shown to be given to you and i just pray that you bless her richly in her life as a mother and a wife and i just pray that she would be able to um, be an encouragement and a um, testimony in all these things in her life of what you are doing and continue to do. And I just thank you in Jesus' name.
Yes, Lord, we just we we are we pray and we're thankful for an opportunity for not only for all of us to be able to you know kind of show our our love to you, but a be given a a symbol to to show how we we are with you, Lord. And we just pray that you know we pray for for Jenny as she as she does takes part in this opportunity to be baptized again. Uh, and pray for everyone here, Lord, that, that if they're feeling maybe a little conviction, that, that they take a similar similar step and and, Amen, and walk towards walk towards you, and, and you know not not let some of the the concerns they may have, but that they just give themselves to you, Lord, in full. Amen. Amen. Jenny, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways and that your banner over us is love. Amen. I pray that you would take each one of us deeper and deeper to know you further and more and to continue to remove the idols and the things in our hearts and our lives that keep us from being with you fully at all times. We thank you for this kingdom that you have given to us that we are our inheritors of and we thank you for Jesus and the blood that washes away all of our sins we praise you and we thank you yes amen father thank you for this wonderful opportunity to just come and and yield our lives to the obedience of your word and receive a an infilling a fullness of your joy through your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, at this time, we're going to go out here. We invite all of you to come and just kind of stand.